welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, there's some news going on this week. We had some quarterly earnings reports with some of the big tech names. And I saw a headline about Amazon specifically hitting something like a triple percent profit on the year before. And I think they were up 40% from last quarter or something insane. So can we explain to our listeners how big that is? Especially when you factor in that I think Amazon's market cap just crest around 1.7 trillion. That's huge. Yeah, these couple of weeks have been really big for earnings for a lot of big companies. And Amazon really has crushed it. Just to touch up on what you've mentioned, every quarter companies report their earnings and they have certain forecasted expectations of what would be the expected returns in terms of earnings per share and their forecasted revenue for the quarter. Now, Amazon really blew it out of the water. The number that really impressed me was their earnings per share. So they had a forecast of $9.54 per share, and they exceeded their expected figure by 65%. And that's huge. So every share that Amazon has is effectively earning $15.79 based on last quarter. That's a total revenue of around $108 billion just in the first quarter of 2021. Now, Amazon is not alone in this. You have quite the big performance from the other big tech as well. Apple also exceeding their earnings per share by 41% from their expected numbers, achieving $89 billion. And others follow suit as well, like Google doing 66% over their earnings per share and $55 billion in actual revenue. But Amazon really did a fantastic quarter and it really paints a picture of how the company's performing. There are quite high expectations after the elections of the economy reopening and that the companies would be performing well, even though there was some expectation of a pullback from big tech companies or high growth companies because they thrived during the pandemic that would slow down a bit. But as of right now, we haven't seen that. It seems that they're doing very, very well and they're really quite impressive. So when it comes to company performance over the pandemic, Why wouldn't companies that can service home life? So people are probably ordering Apple products to improve their work from home office spaces. And one would imagine that the amount of Amazon subscribers would go up and Amazon would likely be hyper-focused on those efficiencies. And I don't think Amazon's afraid of growth. I think they welcome it. And they've always had that vision of customer obsession and all those things. Although I have seen my prime get delayed, I think from two days to maybe four in Canada. So I don't know if I'm going to blame Amazon or Suez on that one or the semiconductor shortage. Yeah, it does seem like they did a fantastic job. I remember hearing an interview related to Jeff Bezos and it was specifically how he would comment on his quarters. Whenever his peers would come to him, being the big wigs of Amazon and whoever else, you would imagine that he would be like, yeah, I had a great quarter. And that's what people expected. They would say, good job on this quarter. And he would say, that's fine. That was expected. And he actually plans for the next eight quarters, which is wild. He actually thinks two years ahead. And I mean, I always hated the cliche, what do you want to be in five years? Because there's a disconnect between someone actually wanting or even knowing what they want and then actually doing and executing. So the fact that 
such a high level entrepreneur like Jeff can think ahead to the T in terms of eight quarters, I think is wild. And I would say Elon's got a bit of that too. And Apple as well. They all seem to have probably some of the strongest brands we know. They're instantly recognizable. There's a lot of brand loyalty and with loyalty comes hate. That's true. But how many people would hate it if Tesla, Apple, Amazon, and Google all disappeared? Life would suck. You would have no search, no home delivery, no iPhones or iPhones on wheels. I think we would feel very much in the dark ages. Cal, you probably missed it, but we had a service outage here. Rogers was down for 24 hours, I think a week ago. And I remember being like, what am I doing? The whole world stopped. That's what it seemed like. So I just wanted to say great job to them. And it's not unexpected. I think people thought the pullback was coming because they saw market caps drop. If that's the Archegos Capital time bomb liquidation event, I mean, that's a rational explanation. It has nothing to do with the long-term viability of these tech companies. I think they keep growing. Mark Cuban had a good quote, which was, can you imagine 20 years ago, the thought of a $1 trillion company, it was almost impossible in terms of market cap. And now he says we're approaching the third, fourth. There's so many potential contenders, Facebook as well, that IPOing at $100 billion is boring. Dropbox, Airbnb, Uber, and Coinbase. So 100 billion is boring for a company five, 10 years old. For the longest time, we've had companies open 50, 100 years. These tech companies grow so fast. It's almost ridiculous in the scope of conventional business. It's like hacking the system. Can we talk about that? Is there a direct correlation to market cap of a company to their value equation to the world? Is there any way we can systematize that or is it up for debate? There's a lot of people who would discuss and debate on that topic, and I'm no expert myself. But from my point of view, I think there has to be some sort of connection between the fundamentals of the company related to their overall market cap. But sometimes you look at the numbers, let's be honest, some companies could be completely way overvalued. They're at a certain market capitalization that would not justify their current or even relatively future next 12 trailing months of their performance. If you look at people who are purely fundamental and would look at the numbers, they might say that the price to equity ratio on Amazon or, for example, Tesla is absolutely insane. And it doesn't make sense where the company it is right now, it should be a lot lower. Now, on a numbers basis, they could make sense. But there's a reason I think the company's at that point. When you look at it from Tesla's pure business standpoint, they're quite ahead from a lot of auto manufacturers, even though there are a lot of them trying to catch up and they already have the big infrastructure to produce electric vehicles to compete with where Tesla's at. But Tesla's not an auto manufacturer alone. Auto manufacturing is just one aspect of their business. Like you said, they're really tech-based, they're energy-focused as well, and they can provide all the other services. We talked about the introduction of insurance to their business. Starlink, maybe you can correct me on this one. I don't know if it's related to Tesla's business model or not, but I'm sure it will have some effect with regards to the autonomy of vehicles. If you look at the plan ahead and how they performed so far and the speed of their growth and the velocity of their research and development, that's basically what's going to justify the current market cap of the company. So that's where the argument stands. You have people on both camps. 
So for example, Amazon, the reason they're growing so fast is they took a lot of their profits and they reinvest into expanding their business. They started not even 30 years ago. It's an online website selling books and look at them now. It shows the rate of expansion. Same goes with Google. They're not just a search browser. They're way more than that. The revenues on YouTube is creeping up quite closely to Netflix, which is one of the big tank stocks. So a subsidy of Google catching up to Netflix. So it just shows how fast all of these companies are growing and they're doing it at a higher rate because they're reinvesting into themselves and trying to grow. I wouldn't tie too much personally, the market capitalization of these companies, even though you already have Apple over $2 trillion, you have Amazon creeping up to the $2 trillion mark as well, like you mentioned, and others getting quite close to the $1 trillion mark. And I think the reason for that perhaps right now is there is a shift of mentality. Even though Amazon has been around for a while, Apple has been around for a while, there are a lot of people right now that have, because of the pandemic, shifted their way of approaching and dealing with things. I'll be quite honest. Before 2019, I wasn't active at all. I don't think I've made a single transaction on Amazon. Just wasn't much of an online buyer. I just thought there's a lot that could go wrong. Returning an item would be a hassle. I wouldn't feel comfortable putting my information online, all the typical things. And then end of 2019, I remember buying a thing or two because I couldn't find anywhere except for Amazon. And then the pandemic hit and then I became active on Amazon just because I trust their system. And second of all, not only it's the convenience aspect, but the time I would save compared to me going and buying an item from a brick and mortar shop. Just a few days ago, my sister was looking for a item that broke on a blender that she uses and she really likes that blender. So she went to one of the stores that she bought it from. And I think they told her to take four weeks. And then she went after four weeks, it'll take another four weeks. And then I just told her, why don't we order it on Amazon? 30 seconds later. We ordered it and it should be arriving in two weeks time. Just the convenience and the efficiency of the system. And that goes as well with Apple's products and services, with Tesla's and with Google's and so on and so forth. That's where I think you don't necessarily rationalize the valuation of a company purely based on the numbers they're posting. Yeah, it's a good point about the user side, how to actually experience the value add. There was that stat of Tesla cars where 97% is likely to buy another than any other car the brand affinity strong, but there's a reason for that. And I think Apple's tagline from Tim Cook is to delight and wonder customers or something of that nature. And we talked about Tony Shea wowing their customer. And these are the kinds of things that make a standout product. But on the business level, to me, it's very simple. People pay attention to what moves. So if you're going to long-term invest, at least my thesis is to get multiples, mostly because if you have a job and you're not retired or you don't choose what you do for a living, multiples are probably the best way to grow. And one can debate the timelines of those growth. But if you were to predict who would grow more in 10 years, Amazon, Apple, Tesla, Google, any of that cohort, even Facebook, for example, versus pretty much the top other hundred with the exception of tech, there's a reason why these valuations are so high because these companies will fill the shoes. YouTube, I actually retweeted. It was some crazy stat about that and also Instagram. Both, I think, are roughly $300 billion businesses on their own. And both were acquired for a billion dollars. I think YouTube was 1.6 at the time. The only expensive acquisition I know of 
was WhatsApp in the 17 or so billion dollar range, mostly because there was an existential threat. And number two, just the value of everyone's phone books in the 75% of the world that's not North America. I think WhatsApp's very common around those parts and likely even more than Facebook. If you look at who Facebook covers now between WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook, it must have brought them from like a 70, 80% to a 90 or 95% of reach, at least of the people who are connected on the internet. Yeah, so let's talk about Starlink and connectivity. I think there was a stat, it was specifically related to either crypto or banking in emerging markets, meaning places where around the world that don't have the same luxuries that we're used to. So easy access to internet, Starlink solves that problem. And guess what? You've built brand loyalty. You can sell them other products or services, not in a nefarious way, but you can add value to their lives. They'll have high-speed internet. And all of a sudden, these kinds of things really start to make a difference to improving the world. So Tesla is an easy example. I love how you brought up YouTube because YouTube was an acquisition for Google. And we can talk about acquisitions in a second, but the idea is a billion dollar check is cheaper than the future value of YouTube. And the fact that YouTube 300x in 10 years, at already such a big size, I think is phenomenal and a testament to Google's ability or just the market's appetite for video. And I commend Google for getting around copyright laws because every other corporation or individual seems to have had a problem with piracy, but somehow Google got away with it. I kind of wonder how. Yeah, so back to Tesla. How Elon thinks of his businesses are each framework or opportunity is a startup in itself. So Starlink is a startup within more specifically SpaceX because that's essentially cargo on there and it's in space. So it makes sense. They may connect to Tesla's and that's another brilliant thing with Elon's companies, which is the amount of IP sharing he can do. Imagine two companies partnering and sharing their best ideas from aerospace to tech. What kind of value can they do for each other? That's exactly what Elon's doing. And he takes the learnings between the two, which is why people are insane if they don't think he's going to solve self-driving when he has autonomous rocket landing. Also, when it comes to iterating manufacturing and design, he had to build the manufacturing for these rockets with the team, of course, but he 3D prints his engines. He's on the cusp of innovation. And all of a sudden, people think he's not going to do it in cars. That's very short-sighted, in my opinion. And I don't think the people interested in seeing him fail even care about market cap in the first place. When it comes to Elon, home energy storage, all those batteries from cars as they age become battery storage. So there's a recycling aspect. Home energy storage will be huge. If we can do an interchangeable power share, what does that industry look like? The utility industry. What happens when Tesla becomes a home utility on your smartphone? All your electricity and power. Right now I get a bill through a local utility provider. It's clunky. I hate it. Just the better UX would be a big deal. But Tesla's brand clout would go a long way. And there's going to be two or three innovative features that make it cheaper and make it cooler. Like maybe you can automate everything, almost like Nest is doing, but there's so many opportunities. And I mean, I'm sure people had commentary on YouTube about how expensive or cheap it was, but no one would imagine it's a third of Google or whatever the number is as a market cap right now. And that's the idea. These little projects can grow and how does leverage work between them? And I just love that part, really. It's inspiring. That's the part that makes me relearn each time I hear about it, that anything is possible and any company can grow no matter what size and 
as long as your mission's important enough, just around yourself with the right people who have the same vision. It's almost that simple. Just a couple more points on Tesla. So autonomous rideshare is going to be in the hundreds of billions of dollars. It was very simple. Just to break it down as a percentage market cap, people thought Tesla was overvalued for years at 200 billion. Now they're trading, let's say 600 billion for the sake of argument. Elon's belief is home energy storage will be as big as cars. Their car business is $100 billion to $200 billion right now in future value. Add that for home energy. Autonomous driving is probably $100 billion on its own. The shoes can get quickly filled. And when you make a value investment, once the value is very clear, it's too late. Your multiples are going to get cut. Why make 50% return if your goal is to make 5x or 10x or 100x, for example, in some extreme cases? It just depends on your risk appetite and where you want to grow. But I think it's more risky to learn investing and not get anywhere in life and still have the same job than to take bets on companies that are changing the world. And I think ultimately the reward comes way after the risk has been taken. You can't have both. So one more point, Cal, you had said about people catching up to Tesla. Let's use that as an example. So Tesla will likely deliver a million cars this year. You're a car guy. Who do you think is going to deliver the first million EVs with 400 kilometer range and when? The obvious answer for me is Tesla, but if you're talking after Tesla, my guess would be on the Volkswagen group. But putting that aside, just last week I heard, I think it was in the earnings call. I wasn't sure. I just read it somewhere that Elon Musk expects the Model Y to be the best-selling vehicle by the end of next year in the world, period. Not luxury vehicle, not EV vehicle, the best-selling vehicle. So right now, the one that's sitting on the throne of that is the Toyota Corolla. The Model Y would outpace that. So that's a very big claim and I think very possible. I think I agree it'll take two to three years perhaps. It seems that, and maybe you can touch on this, John, as well, the Model Y alone in terms of demand is quite high. The fact that you mentioned that Tesla would be producing a million cars this year, coming from half a million last year, you're talking about double the volume of vehicles being produced in a matter of 12 months. To me, that's mental to actually double your volume in terms of a company like that. Yeah. Elon Musk is a true entrepreneur that's working and grinding it out. For some reason, when you compare him to anyone else, I picture every other CEO retired on a beach, patting themselves on the back, drinking their pina colada, saying, what a great quarter we had. Looking back, I want all the credit versus forward-looking. There's a huge difference. And Bet on the people who are forward-looking. Those are the people changing the world. When it comes to Model Y, I won't go into too much of the specifics. You can research it. But Elon's whole goal is to be the best manufacturer in the world. And that is not just car manufacturer. That's the best manufacturer. They want to iterate on how to build a car start to finish. You put in raw materials in one end and a car in the other. And their long-term vision is to automate that. Imagine you have raw materials in even automate that from the sites of digging raw minerals because his idea always was for rockets. How do I rearrange these atoms from start to finish? And it's a very clever way of thinking about hard problems, which is hardware, manufacturing, the things that tech people are normally scared of. So his idea for Model Y was to re-engineer it. I heard a stat, Cal, you can fact check this. You might know a bit more. How many kilometers of wiring harnesses are in cars? I think it was some crazy number, like five kilometers. Do you know that number? I want to check that for you, but I think it's in the teens of kilometers. 
Yeah. So while you're checking that, the whole thing was he's reducing the amount of wiring harnesses. He's shortening them, less components, less things to go wrong. He's making a car into a computer. Go watch Sandy Monroe's teardowns on YouTube. So Sandy Monroe is the guy who is the king engineer who is the consultant for many brands on how to improve an automobile. And my understanding is he would be commissioned to tear down a vehicle for 100,000 to a million or so for any of the big brands. And they would learn what their competitors are doing. And the thing Sandy has been saying recently, every time he does a teardown of a Tesla, is that he's never seen so much innovation in a car before in decades. And he knows the pace they're on because they're actually making new things. They're taking components. So I think there is an article about the rear end of a Tesla Model Y, the one built in Germany. Some rear part of the frame went from, I think, 50 parts to one, some crazy numbers. The efficiencies in building these things are why the Model Y would be the best-selling car. The reason why the Cybertruck is going to be a 40,000 US dollar truck with crazy miles of range is the efficiencies in manufacturing, let alone the batteries. So they've solved batteries with this cool roll-up style batteries that go into the chassis of the car and almost make it part of the car. They're just so clever and they're solving hard problems. And my impression of other car manufacturers is siloed designs of engineers, tech, marketing, and everyone thinks they're the smartest. No one talks to each other. They all get a product from the other person. And that's called horizontal integration, where everyone works on their own thing. Vertical integration is start to finish in the manufacturing supply chain. Tesla will own their own mines, their own raw materials processing, their own manufacturing automation, their own finished product. If they control the innovation, they can control the price. And if there's one thing I want people to remember, it's not the idea that they will innovate. It's how fast are they actually innovating now? And that is a glimpse of what these cars will be selling for in the future. The whole idea is, would you pick a Model Y or a Corolla if they were the same price? I presume everyone would say yes. More space, cooler, safer. It's an iPhone on wheels. Even people would take a Toyota SUV over a Corolla if all else was equal. Of course, it's going to outsell the Corolla if it was the same price. As ambitious as that sounds, let's say it was $5,000 more or ten. You probably would still have people who are opening their wallets because it puts every other car to shame. No one will want anything else. And that's what's going to happen. That's what we're already seeing. I think there was a stat that the most traded in cars for a Model 3 were an Accord and a CRV or something like that, and a 3 Series. They're just eating so much of market share and their innovation's not stopping. The Model S was already innovative. Now the Model S and X combined count for 5% of Tesla's product mix last year. What happens when the Y accounts for 60, 70% of Tesla's cars and all of a sudden they're going to sell a million Ys on their own in the next two, three years or two, three million. And that will likely be the outcome. And when they top it off with a smaller car, all you got to look at to understand Tesla is pace of innovation. So better range, cooler looking cars and cheaper. The fact that an iPhone went from 600 US dollars when it first came out, they made the market, they set the price when every other phone was 100 or 200. Think of iPhone today. You can buy an SE or a version that's ubiquitous or a one or two year old one, but everyone has one or everyone has one like one. And that's the point I want to make. That is what's going to win. No one's going to care about gas powered cars anymore. Collectors will. I would love to have a car collection and that's fine. 
But for people who are already buying commuter boxes, cars are essentially an appliance or a utility. That's exactly what's going to happen. And at the end of the day, you know what else Tesla is on top of? They're going to solve ride sharing, autonomous driving. If a Model Y can make you income, $500 a month, for example, by driving itself, driving other people around when you're not using it. Either the price of that car goes to a quarter million dollars in resale value, and people will be lining up to get them as fast as Tesla can build them because they're now undervalued. They're a cash flowing asset, as Cal liked to put it. They've broken the car equation. These are all the kinds of things that when you actually extrapolate what they could do, then yeah, the valuations start to make sense. Wonderfully put, Johnny. Yeah, just to correct on the wiring question, it ranges anywhere between two to four kilometers. I agree on all of that. It makes sense. The cost of manufacturing, especially for technology items like computers, cell phones, overall have been reducing. And let's be honest, that latest and greatest cell phone, even though it could be over $1,000 today, but a three, dollars $400 cell phone today would be more capable than the top cell phones were three, four years ago. So the pace of technology, I think, is going to really help reduce the cost of manufacturing on these vehicles. And you're right. I completely agree with all of that. And can't wait to see the evolution of the electric vehicle. Like you said, John, you and I are both car guys. We love the sound of internal combustion engine. We love the experience. But different times call for different measures. And this is the time where electric vehicles make more and more sense. The only thing I think for people right now who perhaps are a bit iffy about electric vehicles could possibly be the time of charging up the car in this case is still not as quick as a gas-hard car. But we'll get there. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Yeah, I actually hate gassing up my car. It's smelly. You got to stand in line sometimes. You're in a public place. If you can charge from home, just get used to plugging it in every night, the same way people charge their phones. And I don't even plug in my phone anymore. I just use wireless charging, which I actually really quite like. And I've always got a topped-up battery. I've got a charger at my work, a charger at home. And over the long term, electric cars will do the same thing. I think it's a short-term problem, and I think it misses the point. People who criticize electric, especially diehard car people, the first thing I always ask is, have you driven one? And still no, a lot of the time. So I encourage everyone to book a drive. Try one. It's a car from the future. It drives like a spaceship. Instant on and go. I don't want to make it sound like a Tesla ad, but there's a reason why people think they're going to grow, and they will. He's just that much of a crazy entrepreneur. So we'll see what Apple decides. I think they could surprise us still. There have been those rumors on and off of them potentially doing something, but that's just a testament to how tech and innovation is driving the world, not legacy businesses. And by extension, legacy ideas are essentially gatekeeping. So people who have power in the world want to hold on to the status quo, but innovation is what promises a better future. Innovation is what promises an even playing field for people and the ability to grow outside yourself and live a better life. And what you want to do with that is up to you. But I think that's what we should support and vote with our dollars. And I think it's clear that people have been. The fact that those companies you mentioned are growing is because the utilities very clear. You had mentioned something about a part for a blender taking forever. I went to a local TD bank. I think I sold something on Kijiji. And I went to go to deposit money. How else am I going to get cash into my phone? And the ATM was closed past 6 p.m. My mind was blown. I didn't know the world runs on part-time. I was just shocked at how it's on their schedule. And that's another industry that can get disrupted. So 
just an example of how people will decide who is the clear winner. And to be fair, retail is booming as well. We should probably look that up. What are the profits of Walmart, for example? But over the long term, innovation wins. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.